Good evening, I'm Brian Hirsch and welcome to New Money. This evening we're tackling short-term insurance. For many who don't realise that the concept of insurance started in 1686 in the Lloyd's Coffee House where sailor merchants and ship owners met to discuss shipping news and in particular marine insurance. The concept was that for a small premium, the many would look after the few who had a disaster at sea resulting in the loss of cargo. And this led to the establishment of the insurance market, which today is known as Lloyd's of London. And tonight, I'd like to welcome Craig Simon and Matt Garen from the Garen Group. Guys, good evening, Matt. Craig, thanks for joining me. Good evening, Brian. Personal finance, Saturday, Ombudsman slams insurance brokers for giving you shoddy advice. A question to you, Craig. How, do you agree with this headline? And the, you know, there, were, there were over 10,000 complaints. Yeah. A lot of them were dismissed. The phase, um, the uh, short-term uh, short was involved with 58 million rands worth of claims that were repudiated by insurance companies and settled. So, is this a trend in the market? We're governed by phase and the fact that we've got to give appropriate advice. No, I think in terms of today's day and age, the clients and consumers are a lot more aware of what their rights and obligations are in terms of being able to hold their brokers accountable. And in terms of who they can fall back on is obviously the ombudsman at the end of the day. And if a claim is rejected, the first thing to do is go to the ombudsman to try and see if there is a, a, a failure or lack of care, due care taken by the broker themselves to ensure that they can't hold them liable because at the end of the day, they want to be indemnified in terms of their policy, whether it's a broker that's responsible or actually the insurer at the end that's going to cover the policy accordingly. Matt, do you think insurers have tightened up? Do you think that there's a, a trend in the market because of all these complaints that insurers actually have tightened up in terms of how they're settling claims, being a bit more cautious, making sure, because we, we know over the years fraudulent claims and what impact that has on, the, on premiums. I think insurers have become very much more vigilant about certain claims. I think this is also due to the amount of natural disasters that have happened globally and how that's affects our local insurance market is reinsurers globally are putting pressure on insurers to make sure that uh, kind of losses are in some way kind of put, put kind of capped. And I think that is that, that is kind of a trend that they are being a bit more harsh to settling claims as, as was previously due to the amount of natural disasters and the pressure that's affecting the insurer's balance sheets. Are, are, are South African insurance companies prepared for multiple disasters? I mean, you know, we think of storm damage, we think of the fires in the in the Nisner of Plettenberg Bay area. There are a lot more multiple disasters and, I mean, are they prepared for, the, uh, for these disasters? Well, I think the question is, I think they are prepared, however, insurance premiums will rise because reinsurers are obviously global and they will put pressure on local insurers to increase their premium to a point where insurance potentially could become unaffordable. So then that, Craig, le led to another point. I mean, people have always seen short-term insurance as a grudge purchase. Oh, if premiums are going to start rising, <laughs> the grudge feeling is going to get worse. Yeah, the reality is at the moment, I've looked at some of the large account renewals of late in the last couple of months and dealing with all your big four or five main insurers. They've been under massive pressure now from the reinsurance market. The reinsurer is now actually dictating what goes on in the South African market going forward. In terms of anything in excess of 100 million rand, there generally is reinsurance in place. Obviously, the catastrophe claims that have happened in the likes of Neisner, down in the Cape and down in Durban, that's a separate fund that gets allocated to it. But the reinsurers are putting massive pressure on our current insurers in South Africa. So w what is the trend of, of, of policyholders? Are, are policyholders starting to cut back? Are they cutting back in the right places? Are they really understanding the difference between insuring for a catastrophe versus the loss of a cell phone or you know, something like that? Well, generally what I found at the moment is the market at the moment is decreasing in terms of premiums itself. 
from a point of view, clients are no longer keeping the large assets and stock on hand that they used in the past. So the first thing they cut back, obviously, is short-term insurance. At the end of the day, we've got to give them the initial advice, say, right, guys, look at it from a catastrophe point of view. Can you handle and mitigate any of the smaller losses? Does it have a big impact on your cash flow or doesn't it have an impact on your cash flow? So yes, a catastrophe cover, we definitely suggest that the guys must make sure it's in place as a priority number one. And, and, and Matt, if you were advising, let's get, spend just a moment on personal lines. If you were advising policyholders if they wanted to cut back, I'm going to always say don't be penny wise and pound foolish. Make sure that anything that's going to have a major impact on your life, you're insured for, particularly your home, you know, the fire of your contents of your home, a total write-off of your car, but is there any way that policyholders can cut back sensibly on I think there is. I think from a philosophical perspective, you can look at a policy and you can look at your buildings and contents and you could essentially say, what, what is a catastrophe? So instead of covering your, under your all risk section, your phone and all that kind of, which is actually quite expensive premium, you can just look at ensuring your building contents and vehicle and anything that will kind of really inhibit your financial position. Well, we're going to take a short break. You're watching New Money this evening. We're talking about short-term insurance. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing short-term insurance. My guests are Craig Simon and Matt Garren. Now, we may be having problems with our numbers, but if you'd like to call us, please try 011-280-5350. You can also email me on brianh at bhca.co.za. Stick with the short-term insurance questions this evening. Got an email from Ashwell in Johannesburg. He says, how important is cyber insurance and what is covered under this type of insurance policy? Whole new concept, whole new ball game. I think about when I started, <laughs> we didn't know anything about cyber. Craig? Okay, so cyber liability, obviously, and cyber risk insurance in a day is a very new hot topic in South Africa in particular. Um, if you go back and look at where it's come from in the last two or three years, directors and officers liability came into play, but that now fizzled out to a degree. But cyber liability is taking South Africa by storm at the moment. If you look at from point of view, if you look at the trends and increase in the number of cyber attacks, you go and have a look at current stats and figures, you're looking at excess of 5 million attacks worldwide on a daily basis. It's huge. So at the end of the day, it's not a case of... So before you carry on, yeah. what is cyber insurance? So it prevents you from... Well, at the end of the day, it's a case of you insuring against a cyber attack. So somebody hacking into your system and stealing your data and information, putting you up to ransom in order to be able to be operational again. At the end of the day, if they shut down your server and all your computers, you guys are unable to operate your business on a day-to-day -day basis, which means it's going to be a loss of profits and loss in turnover. So your cyber liability insurance is protecting you from a ransom point of view, as well as from a loss of profits, a business disruption side of it. Is this more, more relating to corporate insurance as compared to domestic insurance? Purely, purely commercial, purely yeah. commercial. There is a small section of it, of a fishing product and fishing liability out there, which protects the domestic individuals, but mainly cyber liabilities for the commercial clients. So, so Matt, let's think about it. I mean, we look at, we look at personal liability. I mean, you sure insure for 20 or 50 million under your householder's policy or one of your policies. Mm -hmm. And on that policy, the premium is, is, is very low. In other words, it's saying to you, low premium, risk low. Is the premium on cyber insurance high? I mean, are corporates going for it? And where does that rank in terms of premium? So I think cyber risks insurance is a higher risk type 
cover because it's basically if you look at a company's IT infrastructure they are bound to have an attack because attacks can not only come from the outside in but from the in a disgruntled employee who decides to steal lots of sensitive information or kind of gets into their pastel accounting software or something like that. So I think it's a whole different risk and there's so many different attack points for these potential attackers to try and enter this business, enter a, a business. So I think it's, it's very much broad, this coverage is very broad for companies. However, from a personal perspective, what Craig alluded to earlier was phishing, is that phishing, basically, if someone sends you an email and has a link in there that has a bit of malware, which is basically wants to infect your device in any way possible that can base that, that can cover personal pe personal personal kind of cover so I think it's uh, I think it's very much relates to both however at the moment it's much more commercial based due to it being companies can't afford to be down for a few days these days if their if their systems aren't up so, so I think then how do you determine some assured I mean I understand my buildings worth X uh, my stock is worth Y my loss of profits and by the way, it's not F-I-S-H, it's the phishing P-H. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what's phishing got to do? Yes. Are we concentrating on the phishing We're definitely not fishing for Because fish. I started <laughs> off talking about Lloyd's and maritime insurance. Yes. But Craig, some assure, I mean, how do you determine look, at the what to insure for? It's very difficult. The same as liabilities. You're going to look at it from a liability point of view. And, and cyber, again, is a liability product that you're actually buying. So in order to determine and to, and to mark what sums insured you guys are wanting, in day, slap to the client. What we do is... We give them three or four options. You start at a base mark of 20 million rand, I would say, going up anywhere to between 200 and 250 million rand cover. Now, obviously, it depends on the size of the client at the end of the day in terms of what their exposure will, how much data they've got, whether it's bank records they've got, whether it's ID numbers, contact details, postal addresses, all that kind of information. So the more information that they have, the higher the ransom can be from the actual hackers at the end of the day. And Craig, I mean, other, you know, we talk, go back to this headline, uh, yeah. Ombud slams insurance brokers for giving shoddy advice. Are, are the brokers in South Africa geared up to provide this type of advice? At the moment, because it's a very new product in the market, everybody's unsure in terms of where they're at. Um, insurers are trying the utmost best to have a lot of training seminars to bring the brokers in to get an understanding of the products themselves. But I think we're in very early stages at the moment in terms of where cyber liability is at, and we've all got a lot to learn. So where does the Garing Group fit into this? Are, they, uh, are you geared up to provide this advice to your corporates? Yeah, yeah so, um, so I think that we are trying at Garing Group to create a cyber culture of being aware to the cyber risk because we believe that in the years to come it's going only going to become more prevalent. So basically why traditional insurance and cyber insurance are so different is that just say you're insuring your building. So your risk might change for your building every year or two. Mm. However, a company's cyber exposure might change every day depending on a disgruntled employee or a third party that is accessing your environment. So change much more rapidly in terms of your risk of cyber. That's why brokers need to very much be advising their clients appropriately and what the cyber risk policy must be seen as. And what are you, are you insuring for the cost of replacing data or changing your computer? What are you insuring against? We're insuring the, the potential liability that can be upon the business if sensitive information gets into the public domain and they are sued for negligently looking after that information. Okay. So it's a lot to do with negligence. It's Correct. a lot to do with negligence. Okay, let's yeah. carry on with some of the emails. Wendy in Durban says, there are so many insurance companies that have sprung up recently. Can I rely on my broker to pick the right insurer? And what happens if at a time of claim the insurance company has been liquidated? Yeah, there's a, a whole lot of new companies. I mean, you talked about four or five companies and maybe going back many years, there may have been 15. 
seems to have consolidated industry, but there are a lot of new. Are these insurance companies or they're underwriting agencies for an insurance company? You know, and someone's saying, you know, you've got to be careful. You've got to make sure that at time of claim, you've got the right, you've got the right insurance with the right company that can pay the, uh, can pay the claim. Yeah, I, th I think obviously the consumer needs to do the right research and actually assess how long the UMA underwriting manager has been around for or the insurer or the broker for that matter who's placing it through these companies. I think it's basically up to the consumer to assess through internet research as to what this UMA is or insurance company or broker and kind of, kind of try and do a bit of research as to can I actually trust this person to look after my short-term insurance? Well, you can always find the FSB, the Financial Service Board, to see if the company's registered. But Craig, are, are you as a broker, are you guys using the traditional and the mainstream uh, We're still using insurance? traditional mainstream insurers. Obviously, there's very specialists, specialist covers that you require. Those will go to your unknown insurers to the general market out there, but obviously they specialise in specific products. But otherwise, you're using your main top five or six insurers out there at the moment. Barry in Cape Town says, why, I'm, I'm not sure this is correct, he says, why is it that female drivers can get a discount as compared <laughs> to male drivers? Is that correct? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's, it's unusual because at the end of the day, a lot of insurers are using these behind the scenes, what they call demons a black box. Now, this is scientific rating where they feel that a female driver is a lot more safer out there on the road and a lot more cautious when they're driving. Hey, I mean, yeah. uh, okay, <laughs> we, look at, we, we won't go there this evening about female and male drivers. Yeah. Uh, Wells in Randburg says, I've recently been offered a policy with tracking technology. Could this be used against me in the event of a claim? An example being if I'm speeding. Yeah, so I, th I think most insurance companies would tell you that it, they wouldn't use it against you, but uh, we- But we do they have that sort of data? Yes, yes, they would have. I mean, does that give so? So, uh, one of your larger short term, new in the market, um, specifically puts in telematics into the vehicle. Now, that telematics information and data they use to monitor your driving habits. So, at the end of the day, we've checked those policy wordings. They don't currently use it in, in event of a claim, and they won't reject your claim on the basis you've been speeding, but obviously, it will affect you down the road potentially because that's where the overseas market has gone, is monitoring actual driver habits. Yeah, because Wells talks mm. about speeding, but there could Correct. be a whole lot of other be uh, driver behaviours that, mm. uh, that could have an impact. So the, the nowhere in the policy, although they, the policy do does say, I mean, every insurance policy says, you shall take due care. Correct. So, I mean, due care and you call it telematics? Yes, telematics, yeah. So that's where the tracking device actually picks up all the anomalies in terms of the speed, harsh braking, harsh acceleration, and at the end of the day, that data is vital to them in understanding what risk they're actually underwriting from, a, from an individual point of view. Now, we look, we may be having l l uh, trouble with our lines. 011-280-5350. Apologise for that. Uh, you can still email me, but e an email from Jake Jacob in Durban said, I've just someone had just had someone run into me who's not insured. If insurers cannot recover, does it go against my claim record? Why isn't there a levy on petrol to make sure that everyone has third-party insurance? Yeah, so unfortunately in South Africa, short-term insurance, especially vehicle insurance, seems to be a luxury. And uh, not everyone has it. And unfortunately, if the third party does not have insurance, unfortunately it does affect your claims experience and loss ratio. And insurers could hence increase premium based on that. I mean, it would be a good idea to have it on, uh, on the, I mean, we don't want our petrol price. I think I, s I read in the press today, possible with the rand falling to where it is, could it get 80, to 80 cents to a rand increase? Yeah, increase so you want to, you know, you'd like to do it. But, but Sazria, and maybe we can just 
just talk about because SASRA, the political right type of insurance, that that is on your petrol. Is that or do you pay? Let's deal with that when I come back. We're going to take a short break. You're watching you and your money. We're talking short term. When I return, I want to talk about the old type of political risk called SASRA, which you still have to have. Stay tuned. I'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money. We're talking short-term insurance this evening. Craig Simon, Matt Garren. Hope you're probably having problems because we haven't had any calls. 011-280-5350. Craig, before we went off air, I know that going back into the 80s, political right insurance under the name of SASRIA was critical. I'm saying does one still need that type of cover and where? And is, uh, you, t- you, 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 you corrected me during our break that it's not in our petrol levy. That's the road accident fund. Correct. But so SASRA, just, just SASRA maybe tell our viewers what it's all about yeah, again. So SASRA is of vital importance today in terms of your policy stock. We've seen a massive trend and increase in over the last couple of years in terms of political unrest and riots happening, in terms of your local civil commotion in town and the like. At the end of the day now, guys are stoning vehicles for unnecessarily. And if you don't have SASRIA cover accordingly, you ain't going to get your claim paid because conventional motor re- policy will actually not respond unless you have SASRIA. Under your motor section, it is automatically included for a nominal fee of uh, 3.50 for a private type vehicle and 4.50 for a commercial vehicle. But under your household contents, house owners and stuff, it is an option to actually take off that cover if you want to. And you advise it's important to have. Definitely. It's right. a must today, yes. Uh, from Butch in Germiston says, my householder's insurance has a burglar alarm warranty. What happens if there's a burglary at the same time as a power outage and the alarm does not activate? That's always been a fear for me, I must tell you. Yeah. That, I mean, I, 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 certainly I don't have an alarm warranty. I've got an alarm, but I certainly don't, w- won't have it on my policy. Yeah. So the first thing is, let me ask you this, do, 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 do most insurers insist on alarm, uh, a burglar alarm warranty? I, I think depending on the sum insured under your content section, if it, o- if it is over a certain limit, insurers do require that you have a burglar, burglar alarm warranty and they will not pay a claim if someone comes in your premises, no one's home and you forget to put on your alarm and it doesn't trigger, they will not pay your claim as as the armed response never came and the alarm never went on. Okay, now we talk about power failures. If there, the was a, if there was a power failure and it can be proven that there was a power failure over that time, I'm sure insurers would make discretion for that. However, as per the policy wording, insurers will not pay if the burglar alarm is not. And, so and, and what about all these gated communities? I mean, uh, you yeah. know, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I, I'm in a cluster, so we've got security, and that's why I think uh, the insurers are, have, have assessed it and said, okay, we're happy, you don't need to have a burglar. So they are a bit more lenient in that instance, but just coming back there from Matt's point of view, what happens these days is with technology so advanced the way it is, is that the alarm system control panels, if one of your security companies come in, they can actually plug it into a computer and actually download the data. So they're able to see that the alarm was activated and in terms of you did acti- activate the alarm. They don't necessarily have to receive a signal if there's a power failure, okay? But as long as the alarm was activated, you have complied with the warranty itself. So there will be a bit of leeway with that insurance company specifically. Uh, okay, so, so let's yes. just go one step further. Unoccupied property, what, re- what constitutes unoccupied property? I go away, I've got my domestic staff at home. Is that considered occupied property? That's occupied if they're still in the main house. If they're living in the domestic quarters separate to the house, that is deemed as unoccupied. 
So the house then has to be locked and the alarm has to be activated. Okay, important thing to know. Yes. Pedro in Cape Town says, how different is the wording and conditions from company to company when it comes to your householders, house owners and all this policy? Isn't there standard wor to wording or has the, is, is it every insurance company have its own wording? I think it's pretty standard depending on your claims experience. I think if you have lots of claims, insurers will put in certain conditions and terms that are obviously, that will make it more stringent for you in terms of your policy. But for the most part, I think across across domestic insurance, across the across all the insurers, I think it is for the most part quite standardised and similar. There used to be like a standard wording that all the companies used to, to use. It used to be what they deem as a multi-mark. It was multi-mark. Multi-mark, yeah. correct. Yeah. So multi-mark was on the commercial side. The domestic side, they've all branded according to their personal lines division and, and branded according to the... And terms and conditions could be very different. Terms and conditions are very different. If you go and have a look at the direct insurers, what exclusions they have in their policies versus your conventional insurers through a broker, they are vastly different. So, Craig, I, I mean, direct insurance has grown enormously. Mm -hmm. People think it's, uh, you know, to go direct is a lot cheaper than going through a broker. But there's cost of marketing and all that thing. Is that correct? Is it cheaper to go direct? At the end of the day, it, it comes back to what can you afford. And if you're looking for a very cheap premium, yes, you're going to be able to find direct market out there. It's going to be able to assist you on the cheapest possible premiums out there. But if you guys are wanting quality advice and quality service, go through a broker. The, the pricing model is not that much more expensive. The domestic personalized space is a very competitive space out there at the moment. The first thing the guys look at is short-term insurance. So the brokers know how much pressure they're under to compete with the direct insurers. And if you're going to have a look at market share, I think the brokers have still got a fair amount of market share there. So yes, there has been a big switch over to direct, but I think the guys are still looking for that personalized one-on-one -on -one advice through a broker. And Craig, you mentioned premiums are, are low. I mean, with all the claims and all the disasters we had, are pre and, and, and there are many more claims, are, are premiums not picking up? Are they still be as competitive as they've been over the last few years? Look, I think at the end of the day, they're always going to be competitive because guys always want to try and get business from someone else at the end of the day. So that their competitiveness is still going to be there and premiums are going to be lower. What insurers are now looking at is actually seeing what the trends are out there in the market. And if one insurer starts putting up rates, you've got to get the other insurers to follow suit because at the end of the day, otherwise we're going to sit in a situation where the rates are now becoming unaffordable and the loss ratios, the insurers can't handle anymore. So it's a case of now it's getting that fine balance between the two. So has everyone, every policyholder virtually underwritten on their own? No longer one set of premiums, you know, it depends on your claims experience. They'll load you for your claims experience, put maybe some exclusions in or some, something. So it, it is individual underwriting. For the most part, at renewal of a, dom of a domestic insurance policy or a commercial insurance policy for that matter, the insurers look at it on an on a individual basis and they put their terms and conditions based on the claims. If there has been a trend, if there's no claims, then the, then the policyholder could be up for a, for a kind of no claim bonus or something like that. And so essentially that's how it works. It's looked on a like-for-like -like basis for each individual policy. Well, uh, for those that may have been trying, we apologise that we're having trouble with our lines this evening, 011-280-5350. Joe in East London says, can I include under my normal insurance for hired, can, can I under my normal policy, insurance for hired cars? The premium and excesses that the hired companies charge are exorbitant. So look, every insurer, can you? you can, um, it depends on your relationship with your broker as well as your insurer. Certain insurers will allow you that option to do it. The excesses are extremely high under the higher card companies' policies. 
So a lot of guys are trying to get onto a short-term insurance policy. So it always uh, comes back to the relationship you've got to the broker or with your insurer where they're prepared to accommodate. But if you wanted to do that, you'd have to first go back to your insurer. Correct. I mean, I wouldn't advise anyone not to take that cover mm -hmm. because, I mean, there are so many, I've read that carefully, and there are so many conditions attached to it. I mean, you, you take a hired car, you park it, it gets stolen, you, you can be in for an enormous, enormous excess. Well, once again, it comes back down to these days in terms of insurable interest at the end of the day. Now, if you go to the hire company and they make you liable for any damages and costs associated with that vehicle that you are now hiring from them, there is a portion of insurable interest that, that you're actually liable for. So it's not a problem to actually speak to a broker about it. Malcolm in Durban says, what are the benefits of taking high excesses on our various business insurance? And is it possible to give a few examples of premium saving on fire insurance on stock and in our fleet of trucks? Difficult one, don't try. I mean, everyone's circumstances are different and tough. Yes. But, but if you take higher excesses, there's minimal will, saving. Will there be? In terms of fire and stock, you've got to look at it from a point of view and say, okay, from a cash flow point of view, can we afford those excesses? The premium saving over a number of years is there. But short term, one to three, five years is not worth your while. You're saving between five and 8% at max maximum of your current rate. And the fire rates are fairly cheap in South Africa at the moment still in terms of fire and loss of profits. So the high excess actually doesn't pay for itself other than if you're looking long term 10 years plus. And personal lines, Matt? Personal lines, you could take a voluntary excess if it's affordable for you. It, it, would, it would bring down premiums slightly because, I mean, obviously insurers, if you have a 10,000 rand claim and you elect an excess of 5,000 rand for office contents, then insurers are more in pocket than out of pocket. So I think it would slight bring down premiums slightly, but it's obviously, as Craig said, what can the consumer afford? I mean, if I take a bigger excess on my motor policy or something like that, there could be some savings. You've got to weigh it up. You've you got have to weigh it up. You what can you afford? And yeah. Tracy in Pretoria says, what impact will the fires from Nisla to Plettenberg Bay have on future insurance premiums? And as you said, disasters in the Cape, now in, the, in Natal, uh, Im impact on fire premiums? It's going to be increasing, no question about it. Kay. We're expecting a 10 or 15% increase over the next 12 months easily. Okay, well, and then I'll try and get one last email. Douglas says, I've had a, had a claim for a robbery in our home. The assessor says we're underinsured and insurers only want to pay 65% of the claim. I don't agree with them how to go about fighting the insurer. I think you can go to the short-term ombudsman. Short -term ombudsman. Yes. Well, yes. in many instances, individuals are looking for ways to save money on a monthly basis. Short-term insurance is one of the first places they often cancel or in many cases do not insure at all. I fully agree that it makes no sense to insure for the smaller items that will not have a major impact in the event of loss. However, when it comes to the major items in your life, I believe it's essential to insure so that in the event of disaster, you're not left destitute. Saving money is one thing, but being irresponsible is another. Craig, Matt, thank you for joining me this evening. I'd like thank you very to much, next how important it's, to, to, it's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week, program will be dealing back on estate planning, and if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching, and good night.